Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter.com or Blue Sky at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can find me at Instagram, Twitter, Blue Sky, whatever. Wherever you go to social, I'm at Scavendish. If you like the show, the one you're listening to right now, please rate it, please review it, please subscribe to it. But more than anything else, just tell somebody you love Lamestream Sports, and they will too. I think they will. I, I think they will. That, that is how this works. Tell somebody about the product. If you are a giant nerd who loves Nashville sports media and business, please tell somebody about it. That's it. Buck Rising is our guest, who's like a, Speaking a nerd, of nerds. nerd merchant is what he is. Like he's 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 a fake <laughs> nerd, but like really an actual nerd. Uh, no, very smart, very talented, uh, a guy we've known for a long time and, and happy to have him on the show. We We talked about sort of the firing and looking backward at the Titans management of this situation with Paul Kaharski last week. And now we're going to talk to a radio host on 104.5 The Zone, who, of course, is looking forward and gets to talk speculation every single day for three hours. But he gets to do it in a, in, in a way that I, as a college football guy, have never gotten to do, which is with most of the information provided by the team as to how the search is unfolding, which, again, as, if you know anything about college football searches, that is bonkers. <laughs> so uh, just a fascinating look into the Titans process and how they're going about uh, interviewing candidates. How does he go about searching for information on background about these candidates? And then how does he filter that information for his audience and try to be smart about it? But also, you know, got to play to the broadest set, man. You, you can't you can't go deep in the weeds. You, you got to play to the broadest set of the audience. I appreciate you picking up picking up the interview here because apparently the inter the uh, internet decided to stop coming to Glen the Glencliff area where I live on the day that we that we recorded this this week. So appreciate you interviewing Buck. It's a really good interview, and um, as always, Buck is very entertaining. Yeah, and mildly annoying, but very talented. We do appreciate him, and um, of course, I hope everybody's uh, warm and and safe out there. Of course, if you are cold and frigid. There's no better way to warm up than with a nice, hot, piping cup of coffee from Eighth and Roast. I think that's what we've settled on. Eighth just, and Roast. Just, just really highlight all three of the words. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I like it. Eighth and Roast, of course. Multiple locations across the city. You've got one on, that's right, Eighth avenue you've also got one on charlotte where we have uh another show of ours has uh, a monthly meeting first tuesday of every month we're going to be out there at uh, the charlotte location you got one at the airport you got one over at vanderbilt on west end uh and of course mo more importantly as i as as this is significantly more important to those of you this week who are frequenting the grocery stores around the area to make sure you stay nice and warm every morning make sure you pick up a bag of those beans take the extra five seconds and and buy yourself a grinder, which again is not very expensive, like fifteen bucks. Buy yourself a grinder, grind the beans. It is worth it because these beans are better. I looked at my wife this morning and I was like, "See, doesn't this just taste better than the other stuff?" And she kind of was like, "Yeah, I I, I got to admit, it's just better." Uh, they've got better beans. They're ethically sourced, and they're all over grocery stores all over the over the city of Nashville. So if you're if you're brewing drip coffee at home, like I do with my family, because my wife won't eat drink coffee any other way. Uh, make sure you're picking up a bag of Eighth and Roast everywhere you get your beans. Steve Check out Eighth and Roast. Here was our conversation with 104.5 The Zones, A to Z Sports, just a general gas bag, and good friend of the pod, Buck Rising. Buck, welcome to the show, sir. How are you? Good to see you. What's going on, man? Nothing but snow. 
just uh, trying to dig myself out to schlep into a radio station to do the easiest job at the easiest time of year humanly possible <laughs> right now. So uh, far be it for me to bitch about anything. Hey, bud. I guess I'll start then right there. Um, so what you're suggesting is, is that you can basically speculate all you want to for three hours a day on radio, not have any semblance of knowledge of truth or reality, maybe some background in there, and we'll get to that in a second. But truthfully, you can just speculate all day during a coaching search, and it's totally good for the listener. They still like it. Oh, my God. They prefer it. It's it's not. We, we do it because it's what they want. <laughs> it's not. If I had my way, it would be a much more boring three hours of radio, but you have to lean in and and a lot of it's fun of course when when uh, the bullets are flying on black monday and maybe it takes a little longer for one coach to get in front of a firing squad than the other the way that happened with mike vrabel here to where it dragged out probably 3 days beyond what it needed to but yeah you can do a lot of the speculation you are trying to be super discerning in a quote unquote news cycle that's never been less news and more cycle. But uh yeah, it it makes for compelling moments, especially when one of us gets got by one of these blue check marks that's been bought on the internet. I do love the bought and paid for blue check marks. Um but you said if you did it your way, is that because you would prefer to look at a candidate? Now what makes an NFL coaching search so different than anything that in, in college or really kind of anywhere else, you, you sort of have an official list. It is required uh of course be because the nfl wants to do its media partners some favors and they those media partners pay billions of dollars to be those partners they they put in place rules where it gets out and here are the nine candidates i guess now up to 10 for the tennessee titans in theory it is your way quote unquote that you said that would be much more boring is that more of an analytical deep dive into each cat into in each candidate or or is it that the audience like what what does that what does that mean to you when you say i would rather i would do it a different way Sure, I'd just rather talk it through more about the people that they're hiring as opposed to just the the first name, the first reaction, the knee-jerk reaction that comes up with each team that the person is associated with, right? Because you're you're doing this a lot more recency bias, especially where we've just concluded the super wild card round last night with the uh the forced doubleheader because of Buffalo's weather situation. Um, and I think that a lot more people are going to be hugely skeptical of Brian Johnson. For example, the Eagles OC, because the Eagles did not manage a single, a single third down conversion in a in a playoff game for a team that went to the Super Bowl last year. That's largely uh, the same parts, except all of it's more expensive now because they made the Super Bowl. Then looking at who Brian Johnson is, how he came up, who he came up under, and the kind of things that have influenced his growth and development as a coach and ultimately with the latest addition to his resume, which is a pretty, uh, the second fewest points scored in a playoff game in the first round so far. Uh, I believe Dan Quinn would fall into that category as well, uh, of sure re recency bias. Um, so ultimately how then do you translate? Like, again, I love the NFL because it makes it so easy to look at the candidates, you know, exactly who is a, is a, is a candidate for the Tennessee Titans head coaching job. Um, you certainly have background information that you can gather. You certainly have sources inside the building that you can talk with and outside sources in the league that you can sort of, sort of try to gain insight into who these people are. We have copious amounts of statistical data. We've got who they worked for and with. Um, how is it that you go about parsing 
because again, these GMs and these owners are millionaires that screw up these decisions all the time. So, um, without knocking the two of us, we, we are not general managers or millionaires screwing up these decisions. So how is it that you go about parsing out quality in this conversation? It's a good question because you have, as you, as you kind of alluded to many questions about the people making the hirings ability to discern quality on an area that may not be their area of expertise, but they don't have to be an expert in it because it's their thing. It's their toy. They get to do what they want. You, you, you go through the, the basically the pro process that you've just outlined, right? You try and talk to as many different people in that building as humanly possible, as we've all been trying to do, um, with varying degrees of success about, Hey, what, what are you guys looking for? Because you couldn't articulate it to us in a press conference that media care way more about than fans do. I get it. It's tired. It's, it's, it's us, you know, b banging pots and pans together to try and scare Amy Adams Strunk out of her house into answering some actual questions from an, uh, from a person that she does not employ in a setting that does not look like a hostage video um, about everything that they're looking for in their next head coach. So in the absence of that, try to get background from people who are left in the facility. You try to understand where coaches who are still under contract um, – because Mike Vrabel under contract, no more, he was fired. The rest of the coaching staff is still there and they're all in the process of trying to figure out what their future looks like, whether that's here or elsewhere uh, under different regimes. And then, as you mentioned, league sources to try and get as much background, people who have covered these people in different spots. For example, Steve Weish of the NFL Network is going to be on the, the radio show as we're taping this on a Tuesday on Wednesday because he was a beat writer in Atlanta. He knows way more about Rand Carthon than anybody here does because Rand has spoken to us once since July, and that was the day that they fired their head coach. So it's as much about trying to get to know the people who are doing the hiring as it is who's out there to be hired. And the thing with the Tennessee Titans is one person doesn't have to do press conferences and the other one has chosen to do them at a far less frequent rate, as is his right, than his predecessor did. How do you parse out backward-looking versus forward-looking in the relationship between the two? Because there's part of me that that can look at, all right, we have a new era of Titans football. We have a, a sort of a big line in the sand here with the firing of Robinson and Vrabel within about a calendar year. You've got a new regime. It's easy to look at that group and say, we're going to evaluate you from from today moving forward. That's that's very easy. How do you work in the history of how we got to this point as context into evaluating the decision-making moving forward? Does that make sense? Sure. Um, be, for, for all the reasons that Bill Belichick isn't being pursued for even an interview here, right? Jim Harbaugh and Bill Belichick are not being requested for interviews here with the Tennessee Titans because that is much closer to the figure that they just fired than it is to all the candidates that they're currently pursuing, right? That's a, Those are very domineering figures in their space. Um, Vrabel would be the one with the worst resume of the three. One is a national champion. The other one is a six-time Super Bowl champion. But they want more control over their situations, and the Titans just got rid of a coach that wanted more control over his situation, tried to make a move to get more control over his situation, underestimated the person that he was employed by, and ultimately got his head chopped off for it in ways that honestly, you know, I think are, are still, were a week removed, uh, a week and a few hours removed from from uh, them firing Mike Vrabel. He's, he's still pretty shocked by it from what I understand. So I think that it has to inform the decision-making process moving forward 
They've already indicated as much. And to be honest, Braden, it's kind of crazy to me. The same with the Pats, right? The Pats have just filled a job, were the first job opening filled of the eight that made changes this year. And they went with the guy that's described as mini Belichick after having 24 years of Bill Belichick and not even, not even looking around, right? Not even apparently talking to Mike Rabel about it, who's somebody who's been there, but it's been outside the organization to some extent. So all the background has to inform how everything is going to operate moving forward. If for no other reason than I've made this analogy a couple of times on the radio show, it's like presidential elections as we get ready to go through one. You're tired of Democrats after a Democrat's been in office, office so a Republican looks uh, more uh, more appealing or or more, you know, wh- whatever the case may be, stronger, more, uh, wh- whatever. The same is true of Republicans after they spend time in office. You want a Democrat, you want somebody who's a little uh, a little different from what you've been dealing with for the past four or eight years, and and you uh, have knee-jerk reactions that are a part of that, and you try and make the best decision possible around the knee-jerk stuff. I, I do have some problems with that analogy, but that we don't have the time to get into that um, right now. Players coach, discipline coach, uh, obviously what you're referring to. You swing back and forth from one direction to the next, personality types, you know, whatever. Uh, that that happens at every every single level of of college football and pro football for that matter. So uh, ultimately, you, you mentioned um, first of all, <laughs> you, you, Mike Rabel not even being interviewed for the Patriots. I'm assuming Titans fans are no longer calling for the for the NFL to investigate tampering. I assume uh, that we're what done are with they that. Doing? I mean, <laughs> I think we're on. done with that. Like this is um, the kind of tinfoil hat shit no, that I'm talking about, you know. And that's again, it's good radio. You know, but, that's what it well that's what i have to i then have to bend myself to to the level of discourse which is fine right it's their show it's not my show but like when lucas brings up for example lucas panzica who's the 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 only reason that the radio show does well at all uh, as far as i'm concerned for i'd never tell well him it that, keeps you employed let's be honest that's how it goes uh so we're very grateful for that but like good, good lucas brings up in a brings up in show prep the idea that Titans fans are talking about of the Patriot have the Patriots been tampering with Mike Vrabel and I look at him like he's got six heads because I'm like what are you talking about it has to it has to turn yes. into a segment because it's what people are talking about so ultimately what I'm fascinated by again kind of going back to the context of the past to try to inform the, the decisions of the future because really all that matters evaluating Rand Carthon and Amy Adams Trunk moving forward is this ultimately this this decision there will be others. There's drafts and free agency and everything else. But ultimately, this is the number one thing you are judged on as a general manager in the NFL or an athletic director in college football. You hire football coaches. That is the thing that you do the most of. That's the most important thing you do, I should say. Um, when somebody asks you and says, because again, there's a lot of anecdotes out there about all these different individuals and all these different personalities that you can't really go on the air and say specifically. It's just background information that people hear. What is it if I called up and said, man, like, why, why do you trust so-and-so to make X, Y, and Z decision? H- how do you go about explaining to folks the trust factor here that the Titans fans should have in Amy Adams, Strunk, and Rand Carthon as a decision-making power structure? Well, I first tell them, and I think this is just a good lesson for for a lot of things right now, media environment or otherwise, you don't trust anything ever implicitly ever. Like that's just not the way that you should go about this. You shouldn't simp for your owner just because she's the owner of your favorite team. You shouldn't simp for Mike Vrabel just because he's been hugely successful here. And you like the big, strong, tough guy. Cause he made you laugh and took a couple of uh, took a couple of shots at media guys, right? Like uh, you, you have to, you have to make sure that you're clear as clear minded or clear 
headed as humanly possible about this. And, and then you kind of work your way through with your own personal experiences of stuff that you've reported around them, decisions that they've made one way or the other. For example, the, the easiest comparison for me in all of this, even though the situations are not the same in the way that they've played out, is everything that she she did, Amy Adams Strunk, with Mike Vrabel, there's a lot of parallels to the same way that she handled it with Mike Malarkey. Now, ultimately, that was a correct decision. Um, but everything down to the way that it started to leak throughout the throughout the facility, throughout the the staff, for, throughout the personnel, and bled into game day, um, palpably in the press box where everybody thinks they know something about the job status of Mike Vrabel, it was handled basically in the same way that they let it get out there about Mike Malarkey, and it started to kind of simmer under the surface for two days until, or in the case of Malarkey, two weeks when they when he finally lost a game and they could give themselves a window to fire him. Um, that's an example of her making a correct decision, even if the coach didn't necessarily deserve it in Malarkey, um, of trying to better the football team because she thought that there was more progress that could be made. And that's what her statements uh, have been in effect of. The word evolve uh, is used in there in ways that a lot of Titans fans have been hammering on the way the, the style of play that this football team operates in. And so you you refer in the case of ownership, in the case of the person making this hire, um, that those are the kind of examples, and that's that's a good example of of what people can look to in in why she made the decision. Is it actually in the best interest of the football team? We don't know whether that's the case right. or not, but we know that she made the decision in the best interest of the football team because she thinks that there's more there, and ultimately that's what you want. Right. That's what you want out of an owner, that they're not just going to be satisfied with, as she said, more wins than losses, um, which I thought was a decent shot at Vrabel uh, and, and underachieving during his time here. Rand's harder because he's not really he's not out there at all. Uh, we spoke to him once the opening of training camp. We spoke to him on the day that Mike Vrabel was fired a few hours after they had a meeting of which he was not in. <laughs> he was not in the meeting. There were two people, in, three people in that meeting, including Mike Vrabel. One of them is Amy. And the other one was Titans president, Burke Nihill, who is not an insignificant figure in all of this, um, given that he just helped her get a stadium built. And that gives yep. an individual a lot more power uh, and a lot more say and a lot more sway over everything in his situation. And by the way, he's done well to, to accomplish that. Um. That people are very blurry on what Ran has been allowed to do within the scope of his position makes this even murkier. And you're finding out more about, well, Rabel just kind of pushed a lot of stuff through and Ran is not necessarily able or in a position or well-equipped to kind of check Mike, right? Even though that's the typical power dynamic of what a jet. So it's a long way for me to answer the question. There's more of a body of work on Amy. There's a yeah. hell of a lot less on Rand, and that's not normally the case. We know I so little. Yep. The 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 reporting around sports business and particularly around the the actual money on all this is really really hard to do. There is a, a, a just a, a lack of it generally, and the fact that we know more and there's more about the Titans ownership group than there is about the general manager either speaks to the skill level of rank Carthon for it, being able to keep a lid on what he actually, everything that he actually does within the scope of his job, or maybe speaks a little more to how loud Amy Adams Strunk is in her decision-making. 
So this is sort of two parts, and I hate doing this to you, but because I think they're tied together. Ultimately, how much... I think ultimately Amy Adams Strunk has come to a lot of... Ended up at a lot of decent decisions. Some some quality decisions. You just out... Sure. I mean, hiring Robinson and Vrabel at first were great decisions. Firing Malarkey, tough, but a great decision. But the process has been, let's call it, disjointed at best through each and every one of those. I mean, again, just flat out lying to us. Again, in Nick Saban-style fashion, the greatest coach of all time, lied had to lie to everybody and say, I'm not going to be the Alabama coach. And then a couple of days later was. So it's not that these aren't like sometimes must lie situations. They are. But the process has always been disjointed to get to some of these good decisions. I guess ultimately, how much do fans care about that? Number one. And then to your point about Rand not being transparent or the entire organization being transparent in light of asking taxpayers for over a billion dollars in money and then probably jacking up PSL prices pretty to a pretty high number coming in a couple of years. Are they not more responsible and beholden to the Titans fans to be more transparent and available if they are going to ask the city for over a billion dollars in support to build this stadium that all that does is add value to their business? I mean, in a perfect world, yes, but there's nothing in the NFL rule book that says she has to speak, right? Like, it's just, there's nothing that forces her out there. And listen, the explanation, the explanation that I've been given is a weak ass one, which is that she's not comfortable in these things. <laughs> like a lot of people, I bet Rand Carthon wasn't technically ter terribly comfortable answering questions about a decision that he was not in the room for. And I'm sure had some level of input, but nobody will tell us how much input because the power no, is Buck, he was never consulted. Not one time. The general manager of the team was never consulted one time. Wasn't even asked how he feels about it. I bet you. Well, I, so I'm answering the second part of your question first, <laughs> which gets back to what you've just alluded to, which gets back to the first part of your question. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, should she be? Absolutely. Does she have to be? No. And you know what? She's probably better off not. She's probably better off not. You've already given her what she wanted. It's all It's all already going through. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. And now, you know, it's kind of like uh, not, to, not to take out, out any contractors, and I've not had any personal experience this, but I was at a bar the other day where they had a lot of renovation done in Midtown. And you started to see some of the places where the renovations weren't completely finished and stuff like that. But the contractor took the payment up front. You don't ever give the contractor the payment up front then skip town before the, the full scope of the job was done, mm. right? That's that's not a great uh, uh, foreshadowing for Titans fans, and I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen here, but you've already given her everything that she wanted, and now you're asking for her to make appearances that she, by rule, does not owe you. Um, I hate it, but it just turns into people, oh, it's just the media people bitching about uh, not getting more answers. It's a winning position. It's it's a position that we're not going to be able to change. I wish to God that that was not the case, but uh, you know, ultimately we just end up looking like the the whiners in all of this because we're not getting more questions to answers that by NFL rule we are not entitled to. Now to your point about fans. Well, until until they get that tab for their PSL and then they start bitching at us about why Amy Adams Strunk is charging us so much money, and then listen if. You if know. this is what it's like to be a therapist, at least I didn't have to spend all that money and spend all that That's time true. in school. Like That's valid. It's valid. <laughs> it's, it, it is what it is. Uh, no, to your point, fans don't care. Fans, show me the baby. Uh, fan, fans don't. Fans don't have to care. That's the. It's the winning position of being a fan. You can. Uh, you can constantly demand more. You can never be satisfied, and you can always be right um, because it is your dollar that you're paying. Now, I, I think that. Asking fans to discern. A lot of people are satisfied with the statement and with the hostage video. If they are, 
I can point out the ways where I'm not, and they can have it inform their decision as they like. But you're you immediately lose, Braden. You you've been doing this longer than I have. I don't have to tell you anything that you don't know. But you immediately lose the battle when you start telling people how they should think um, instead of kind of presenting them with different opportunities to kind of pick their own path. It's not, it's not the greatest method, but it's a more successful method than just hitting them over the head with no dummy pay attention. She needs to talk and answer questions about all this stuff. And the only press conference, the last press conference that she took questions was when they went to the damn AFC championship game because ownership appears at those press conferences by NFL rule before the pandemic. Uh, no, no, uh, trying to create the illusion of independent thought for the audience is is absolutely what we're what what radio is all about. That's why you present two sides, and and hopefully somebody comes along on the on the correct side, or maybe the more rational side or the more logical side. And sometimes that side is wrong. I mean, there's not there's no there nobody nobody has a, a monopoly on being incorrect. We are all incorrect all the time. Um, is the most important aspect of this hire the the development of Will Levis? Yes, for any organization, it's it you. The, the Texans just went from the most dysfunctional, uh, dysfunctionally run football team in the last five or six years with everything that was swirling around them to everything's happy and smiling and is D'Amico Ryan's coach of the year and is, is C.J. Stroud an MVP candidate because they got the quarterback right and they got the things around the quarterback right. Uh, winning covers up all the other shit, right? Always covers up all the other shit. And they think that they've got a quarterback that's good enough. He's he's raw. He's going to be turning the ball over at a much higher rate than he did this year, which is crazy to think that he avoided a lot of the a lot of those opportunities that he really gifted defenses the way that we talked about in college. Right. That's that's nothing different uh, from the book that was on Will Levis and, and Liam Cohen, by the way, doing offensive coordinator interviews elsewhere in the NFL should be a giant red flag or green flag or some kind of flag for this organization be like, Hey, go get that guy that he did really well with all of it, all of it from, from the, from the janitorial staff to the ownership has to be done in favor and in service of the most important position of all of professional sports, which is the quarterback. Yes. Sounds very Saban-esque of you. She, he was always, he was always checking on the janitors and the the phone the phone bank operators uh, at the facility down in Alabama. That by the Saban, way, we'll, that Saban knows who those people are, and yeah, like Derrick yeah. Henry could name them by name. They're not. It's not. It's not unimportant to these guys day to day. I yeah. say it tongue in cheek, but it's not unimportant. Well, you mentioned D'Amico Ryan's in Houston, but that's a defensive coach. Hmm? Does, does that mean that that the head coach doesn't need to be the offensive guru? Because these offensive whiz kids in the NFL have a very high hit rate of late. And certainly, Will Levis is the guy we just got done talking about. The the offense, I mean, apparently, according to whatever the vision might be for the Tennessee Titans, uh, it is about evolution and modernization, and certainly that is about offense. Does that mean that that they're they're good with a defensive guy, and then more churn on the offensive coordinator? Because you mentioned Houston, you mentioned D'Amico Ryan's and C.J. Stroud. There's a good chance that they lose their offensive coordinator this year. Yeah, and and by the way, like. Houston Texans fans should be cognizant of that, right? Like that's that Vrabel Vrabel didn't have real issues until Art went away and he struggled to replace him. It's it's a thing that you err on the side of caution of if you're a lot of these NFL organizations by protecting yourself from getting your play caller hiring, hired away by making your head coach your play caller, right? That's that's been the trend with McVay, with Shanahan, with uh LaFleur, who was here for a time. Um, and it's interesting to kind of go and go back and do a little revisionist history on what if 
Mike Vrabel wouldn't have in, have interviewed as well as my, uh, Matt LaFleur did. And are we talking about a different trajectory for the Tennessee Titans? Are they ahead of the curve instead of, by most NFL standards, behind it um, in a lot of different areas? You can play those hypotheticals all day if you want to. It's the same as playing the hypothetical of does being a good play caller make you a good head coach? No. It, <laughs> right? Art just it, found that it out. Can, it can. <laughs> uh, it, sure. Here, it's... It's all a it's all a crapshoot, right? The draft is an imperfect science. Quarterback evaluation is an imperfect science, and try there is no such thing as a perfect and and completely thoroughly um, well executed head coaching search. There's always going to be flaws with these guys. There's always going to be things that they're not prepared for, and in a case of an organization that could use some stability, I would err on the side of experience. And Dan Quinn, while that is going to be the worst possible uh, beyond the, the the Panthers OC I think a lot of people are going to look at Dan Quinn as as the worst candidate that the Tennessee Titans are going to interview because why would you want the failed Falcons head coach why would you want another defensive guy are you insane what are you doing I've got but, him at eighth I've got him at eighth out of ten so not last right there so there's but you have to know you have to have somebody who can manage the politics of this as much as anything yeah. Grable just got shit canned because he couldn't manage the politics it's not to the extent of being a college head coach where you're showing up at the governor's birthday party because that's a part of your gig and you don't know it when you sign your ten-year, yeah. uh, hundred-million-dollar contract to be the next coach of Texas. But that's a thing. You have to be able to navigate a lot of the stuff that they don't prepare you for, that coaching doesn't prepare you for, that talent evaluation doesn't prepare you for, and yeah. that I think should give Dan Quinn at least more of the benefit of the doubt in a job like this um, than. Ben Johnson, because Ben Johnson isn't bringing Detroit's offensive line. Bobby Slowick isn't bringing Laramie Tunsil with with him. There's a lot of these different pitfalls um, that a first-year guy can can fall into that shouldn't preclude you from making a decision that you believe, again, is in the best interest of the evolution of your program because God knows it needs to evolve. But these are the pitfalls that you have to be cognizant of and that they have to be cognizant of as they work their way through this process. So I wasn't, I don't exactly remember the timeline. I had a newborn child and was doing the morning show at the time uh, during the malarkey change. I don't know if you were already covering that one sort of as in-depthly yeah. as you are with this one, but if this is not your as, first, but, uh, but yeah, so you, you've kind of, this is not necessarily your first one, but it's maybe your, your first one at sort of the scale and certainly the scope, certainly with a successful organization at the time, making that coaching change, it wasn't nearly as successful an organization over the last few years. Um, what is it that you like with all the firings that have happened around the league and with us being now in 2023 instead of 2017 or whatever, what, what is it that's been different or surprising or you didn't expect about this particular coaching search? It's a good question. I didn't expect, um, I didn't expect them to bail on the one vision that they did articulate to us about collaboration um, as quickly as they did. Now, listen, that's a lot of that's on Vrabel and you know, you can't, you can't put those hurt feelings back and whether they were resolvable or not. Um, a different we'll question. We'll never know. <laughs> we'll never know. Right. Um, that, well, let me take it from his side of things first. Cause I think he's as compelling a figure in all of this. And you know, Titans fans won't care about whether Mike Vrabel gets another job or not, but the organization will because they are currently paying a head, a head coach and a general manager to sit on their happy asses and collect paychecks from Tennessee uh, Tennessee Titans football LLC, right? For <laughs> until until such time as somebody pays it to uh, pays them 
coaching or general manager contracts to offset what they've been earning from from Tennessee. Um, that the coaching search could completely change if Dallas and Philadelphia come open um, in the next days, hours, weeks. I mean, uh, who they, they can't interview, and no organization can interview candidates in person until the 22nd, so technically Dallas and Philly aren't that far behind if they decide to make a move um, later than, than these other eight organizations have. And that, uh, you know, Nobody, including Mike Vrabel, seemed to know that Gerard Mayo had it, in his, had it in his contract that he was just going to slide right into Bill Belichick's job until the night that he slid right into Bel- Belichick's job and that detail about it being written into his contract came out. Um, I thought we, that, I, for some reason, I thought like a year and a half of detail kind of like that came out that like, oh, it's been assumed that he's going to, maybe I'm wrong about that. Anyway, I'm just. Well, Robert Kraft said in a press conference, heir apparent, and nobody paid attention to it, apparently. So, (laughs) whatever. Um, Like the Greg Bedard column that every Titans fan lost their ever-loving shit over, the lead of the column and the real main point of the entire story is that like five general managers in the NFL assumed that Gerard Mayo was taking over for Bill Belichick. That was the point of that story that for those that didn't actually go read it. No, the people, you know, that's not how this works. Um, then, then to the Titans that, you know, again, Amy is, is ultimately making this decision. There's Rand Carthon articulated nothing about hiring his guy, right? Amy. And that that's how it works. Amy Adams drunk is the person writing everybody's paychecks. She's going to be consulted in some form or fashion, but this is Amy's coaching hire. This is not Rand's coaching hire. Rand gets to be involved. Rand has said that he's going to be more upfront about this stuff. Uh, or more upfront in parts because he's got experience. Slowick is a candidate that he has time with uh, dating back to San Francisco, and he has connections from from different stops around the league, of course, so he'll have other ties to these these guys that they're bringing in. Um, but that it's that there's still nothing to indicate to me that the, the, the vacuum that Mike Vrabel has just left absent is something that Rand Carthon is filling more than Amy Adams Strunk is. And that the th- that is the thing that is you know, kind of raising alarms or red flags all over the place about people. It's her right to do it, but is she the most qualified person to do it? Rand better not disagree with her in a meeting. Uh, That'll get you fired, apparently. Or losing the Oilers uniforms. Yeah, that's true, too. Uh, Also true, too. Okay, so I'll let you go, man. It's little things. It it, it probably shouldn't be uh, in a multi-billion dollar (laughs) industry, but whatever. Um, So I'll I'll let you go with this. You're always very gracious with your time. We do appreciate you, and I could talk to you about a million other things. But uh, how does it feel to watch your alma mater all end up running the Alabama program? Do you know that Lucas had to inform me that both Michael Penix and Caleb DeBoer were at Indiana? And Kane Womack, his defensive coordinator, was that in no, no, I, that same that, year? That, that, that I know now. The, the 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 whole reason I had to shave my head, lost a bet to David Reed, formerly of the Midday 180, and looked like a penis for six months, uh, is because that Indiana team lost uh, to Tennessee in the, bowl in the Gator yeah. Bowl yeah. that year because uh, for all of the great things that the uh, now Alabama coaching staff is is accomplished or will go on to accomplish, they couldn't figure out how to cover an onside kick, and that is unfortunate. Um, so the offensive not, and defensive coordinators at Indiana are now running the biggest program in college football and the tight ends coach and it's arguably, nuts. and arguably as, I mean, as important as any of the coordinator positions that they'll hire the strength and conditioning coach of yeah. the Alabama football team is from Indiana. Uh, so yes, enjoy, um, Cradle I, coaches. Uh, <laughs> it used to be Miami of Ohio, baby. No longer <laughs> the Indiana Hoosiers. Uh, yeah, I, I, maybe I'll be an Alabama fan. Maybe, maybe now's the time by, by low. 
a lot of people bought high. Maybe I'll slide in by low and actually turn turn into uh, turn into um, what my audience already thinks that I am, which is their worst nightmare on a regular basis. Well, that's true. Well, uh, it, it, thank you so much for your time. We do really appreciate it. And don't worry, it wasn't just six minutes that you look like a dick. It's all the time. So we appreciate your time, buddy. Thank you. Well, some of that's intentional, and some of that's you know, it's just it comes with the territory. Happy to do it. <laughs> That was Buck Rising, and Steve, we'll get to our thoughts on sort of the differences between coaching searches in college football and pro football. Uh, and uh, I know you've got a recommendation for folks out there, so make sure you, you stay tuned for that. But of course, uh, we do appreciate Buck appearing on Lamestream Sports, which is a podcast about Nashville sports media and business, and it is brought to you by 8th and Roast. <laughs> I don't know how long this is going to last, but I find it I find it I find it wonderful. <laughs> I find this bit currently to be quite entertaining. You, the audience, can decide how long we should make Steve say the name of the sponsor, Eighth and Roast, like that. Because right now, I think we got at least a couple more weeks of it. What what I would really like to be able to do, but I don't have the pipes for it, is to be able to channel it like the uh like a game show announcer. You know, oh, okay. Ten thousand dollars. Eighth and roast. Okay, we're not gonna. We're sorry. We're sorry. Eighth and roast is paying for this. No, I'm not sorry about that. But I'm sorry to them. Uh, no, go to the go to the well any one of their four locations across the city. You can get breakfast. You can get a hot cup of coffee. Uh, you you will not get judged when you order a quad shot latte. Of course, you will not get judged, which I have done before. Uh, so make sure you go swing by one of their locations. If you need to get out of the house, a little cabin fever this week, I imagine. So go swing by one of their uh, locations. And if not, and you can get to the store and you're going grocery shopping like everybody else. Since we've reached the, I guess we're well beyond the bread and milk portion of the show. Or All the, the bread and milk has been consumed. So ridiculous. The thing that goes bad the fastest you go by, I never understood. We just buy all kinds of things to make soups. You know, like just lots of soups. Like we're gonna get all the potatoes and the rice and the stuff that lasts, the beans. We're on our, we're on our fourth day of pot roast leftovers, and I gotta say, <laughs> I it's still pretty damn good. We've made two different. We've made uh, smoked white bean chicken chili. We made a like a lemon dill orzo uh, chicken soup, and now we're on to uh, like sweet potato mushroom kale, like uh, new uh, like an autumnal soup. Even though we're in the, supposedly in the spring here, so we're I mean, we're. We're on to our third soup of the of the snow. <laughs> Good for the cold. That's right. Go to Eighth and Roast, by the way. Uh, okay, so I, I am I had moved into local media in 2016, so that I had sort of been around the Vrabel coaching search, which was from Malarkey to Vrabel, uh, which happened, I believe, in 2017. And so I had been around it, kind of like Buck. He was at at the station with me at the time, and and we were kind of I think it was like our first NFL coaching search, and there was a few other folks at the station that had done that. And it was interesting to me, but I've covered 100,000 college football coaching searches, and there is no information. These folks, you know, tracking planes is a waste of your time, but that's ultimately what a college coaching search like ends up being. It is clandestine. It is cloak and dagger. It's agent in the room with athletic director and maybe a big booster. No one else is allowed to understand this information. It is then slowly leaked out through very specific channels because these different media entities have relationships with these agencies and or with these partner universities slash conferences due to, oh, I don't know, television contracts. There's a reason that Chris Lowe, for example, got the Saban story, ESPN, preferred partner of the SEC. But it's just so different in the NFL where literally they are being as transparent as possible with, here's, here's our request. 
here's how we've conducted the interview. Here's the second person who's made the second interview. And I find that to be both good and bad for the fans, if that makes sense. There's a couple things about it that make it different. First of all is the level of competition for coaches is dramatically different because the the universe of coaching jobs is so much bigger in college football. Here in the NFL, we're talking about eight jobs. Technically seven, because the Patriots, you know, just hired Gerard Mayo. But yes, go on. Carry on. Yeah. So 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 we're down so we're down to less than 25% of the league uh, versus, you know, in in college football between and we just saw this with Saban coming uh, you know, the Saban job at Alabama coming open after kind of like a lot of the movement had happened, you know, there's a cascading effect kind of throughout college football. That just doesn't happen in the NFL because it's it, it's such a discrete set of uh, of jobs. There are things that the NFL has imposed over the years, like the Rooney rules and whatever else that are kind of like rules and regulations about how you can conduct a search. And so that naturally puts a certain amount of transparency onto the search. I, I think it's I think it's better because you, you mentioned you mentioned Saban. And while it's less fun. Like just in general, the chaos is it's less chaosy, right? Like it's less chaotic. But what's funny about like the Saban search is as soon as Saban left, the dominoes to your point, five jobs opened up within like 48 to, to 72 hours following that job. And and there is no way that you cannot sort of violate proper protocols and norms and fill those jobs that fast, whether that's back channeling, whether that's talking to somebody who's already employed, whether it's not inter- interviewing minority candidates, whatever it may be. Fans don't have don't, fans don't really have any opportunity to get to know the candidates, which nobody's under any obligation for that. But I I think the structure and the format of hey you can't interview a guy until three days after the season, and the guys who are the one seed can get interviewed this week, but then you have to wait another week. Like all the rules that are put in place, you have to formally request an interview. I I think that is good for the fans in that they see the entire process unfold. They get to know the candidates. They get to spend time with a candidate that they know is their team is interested in. For example, we're recording this on Thursday morning, but we know for a fact that Brian Callahan is going to get a second interview already. Like that's a that's a, that's big news as it pertains to the search because they've interviewed five people or six maybe, and only one of them so far has been formally announced as getting a second interview or an in person interview. And so the fans can track it in real time and and have opinions and get to know and learn about this stuff in real time, which I think is good. It's good content. It also allows Buck, for example, to spend a lot of time speculating. But but you do get you get to speculate with specifics, unlike college radio hosts like I've been my whole life, where you have to speculate with like just wild guesses. <laughs> There's also, particularly at the coordinator level, easier like for like comparison uh, among coaching candidates than there is at the college level. I mean, you can see because the again the product is discrete, right? The, there is. There are 32 teams. There's X number of games. We could see somebody's body of work from the last 17 games here on full display. We could pick it apart in a hundred different ways. That's much harder to do at the college level where you're where you're trying to figure out, okay, do I put like like what coefficient do I put on an SEC coordinator versus do I put it on like somebody who's who's a Mountain West coordinator? And what is the relative degree of difficulty of their current job and does it translate and all these other all these other sort of things? Once you're in the league, you're in the league, and th- there's a certain amount of sameness to it, which makes for easy comparisons. And and I think that that's that's the other thing that makes this so kind of like perfect for talk radio is that these things are are something that people can easily sort of 
easily sort of grasp and easily kind of form their own quick opinions on as opposed to man i don't know who the i don't know who the montana state defensive coordinator is and why he's up for yeah. you know why he's up for the boise yeah. state gig but blah 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 well and, and in college you are left with a lot of box score scouting as as people say you're just looking yeah. at like yards per play and offensive and defensive points per game and like a lot of the basic stuff and like that's all you kind of have and there are where, wild variables yes that yes, affect all of yes. those things and and that stuff does affect the NFL as well but we have so much more data so much more coverage and so much more background information on all these guys that it it allows us to go deeper than just oh this guy's offense was this productive you know on third down or whatever like you can go so much more deep so much deeper so and while the the these jobs and and, and while you would say that in general NFL teams are talent dependent for success what you would also say is that the level of talent relative throughout the league i mean it may it may vary i mean certainly there's a lot of more talent on the niners than there is on the titans this year but you can look at those players and make comparisons easier yeah. than yeah. you can from some you no know. this is this is the top one percent of one percent of one percent of football yeah. athletic playing ability and in college you're talking about like the top 10 percent. so like there's just massive gaps in talent relative to the sport itself there's also other job descriptions in college that are not a part of the job description you this is what we this is what Vrabel and Rand Carthon were arguing about roster management is not normally a part of the head coach's job talent acquisition which is like one of the most important parts of your job when you're Alabama and you hire Kalen DeBoer. So uh, it is utterly fascinating. You got to do so much more legwork. I think we've had some guys on the show say like to us, like, Hey, I think it was, uh, I think it was Nick Suss actually said like, I, I felt so much more satisfied when I got a story at, out of college because it was just so much more difficult to get information. And now I can just walk into the locker room and ask every player the same question <laughs> all the time. Um, so it's a it's a it's a cleaner, more transparent, more interesting process. It's less chaotic if you like that. Uh, but I am finding this one to be particularly interesting with the backdrop and the context of all the stuff that took place with with Amy Adams, drunk Mike Vrabel, and Rand Carthon being sort of the the backdrop that you have to sort of view all of the the future decisions through. So it's utterly fascinating. It's a, this is I find it to be as one of the more interesting, like it's way more interesting than the Preds coaching search, in my opinion. And just because it was, it was fairly straightforward that, that Barry Trotz, they announced it, you know, in the middle of the season that Barry Trotz was going to take over. And it was just technically they did it a lot smoother <laughs> than the, than the, the Titans did. But maybe that's why I find this one to be more interesting is the dynamics at play. So anyway, and, th thank, and thanks to Buck for hanging out with us for a few minutes. Yeah. Thank, thanks Buck. And, and the thing, the thing that I would take away from, from your, your discussion with Buck too, is that, even now, you know, we're what ten days past this decision now. Man, I still want to hear from Amy Adams Strong. Oh yes, I still, I, I still, st I still have questions that that I think are relevant to this this sort of whole thing. Not that not that she's under any obligation to to answer them or will give them because I don't I don't think that's going to happen. But and, and I don't even think that I don't even think they're they're particularly tough questions. It's just. I think there's I think there's still enough mystery out there about the decision making process. And and again, she owns team. She's not she is not obliged to to let us know exactly what the breaking point was with Mike Vrabel. And we're gonna have to depend upon kind of snippets and sort of tertiary conversations and leaks out about and, and try to put together a picture of what actually happened when I think that 
what I would what I would really love is is for somebody to come in and just demystify this thing, and move, and so we can move I, on. You and I have had a lot of conversations around other topics in the city that it, the 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 adding the the mystical part to it is what drives interest, and it's just probably not ever as interesting as you think it is. But if you keep yeah. stuff, if you keep stuff from people, they get more interested in finding out what the hell you're trying to keep from them. Uh, and it's just that's why we have open records laws uh, in this country and in the state. So <laughs> sort of a, ref- a reference to other things that are taking place in the city. But uh, anyway, thanks to Buck. And yes, I agree. The ownership of the Titans, I-, I think. And maybe this is just straight up like politics 101. But if you know in a year or two, you're about to ask your fans and your city for a whole lot of money, you might just want to get ahead of it and try to earn some goodwill. I don't know. Just a, just an idea. Just PR. Just tell just the truth. Thought. Tell the truth and be transparent. They're generally very good strategies. So yeah, um, not not all that difficult. Okay, you you got a recommendation? Go to I, I have a recommendation. Eighth and Roast, folks. Go to Eighth and Roast. Wonderful go coffee. To and Roast. Better beans, ethically sourced. Obviously, great place to go. Catch up, read some news. Maybe listen to your favorite podcast. Uh, maybe catch up on some some news at the NashvilleBanner.com. Uh, you can go there and and maybe read some of that while you're sitting at a coffee shop. And of course, the beans at every grocery store around the city. You can take them home and you can brew them at home, just like my wife and I do. It is that literally what our favorite way to drink coffee is. Eighth and Rose beans, drip pot at home. She can make it how she likes. <laughs> so, so. Are, you, are you a pour over guy at all? Uh, I, I mean, I would drink coffee. Here's the thing. I would drink coffee any way you make it for me. <laughs> <laughs> I have a little French press in like in the French press is in the house. For emergency purposes, like oh shit, we ran out of filters. <laughs> yep. Oh yep. shit, the coffee pot broke. Uh, what whatever it might be, the French press is there for emergency purposes. I am this close to to in, investigating and and looking into what the big espresso machine would cost to have at the house, but I I just I'm afraid I would just drink espresso every day and it would cost me a fortune. So. I'm I'm good. Eighth and roast beans you're, in, the drip, in the drip pot. Your cardiologist would not appreciate it either. Eighth and roast beans, it, pot, one big pot in the morning for me and my wife. It's perfect. It's all we need. It's the right balance. Coffee, of course, is a. It's it, it helps with you know early for dementia and for colon cancer. There's some positive health effects to drinking coffee in the morning. So just not too much, you know. So eighth and roast. All right. So my question for you is this: is, is Everybody has been sort of locked up now for a certain stretch. And actually, because like Christmas was on a Monday and then New Year's was on a Monday and like kind of like all like we've been locked up a lot here lately. Do do you know how many Uh, days my two children have gone to school since December 20th? So December 20th was the last day of school. Is it double? It's not double digits, is it? It's four. No, 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 no. Five. It's five. It's five. Oh, my God. Five days. Well, for that, I'm sorry. What are you watching? What are you? What are you guys watching right now? Like in this last week, where you've been kind of cooped up inside? What do you, what, we we because we have been just a couple of things, and and some some of which okay, some yeah. of which not 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 okay. I have oh man, I've been on a very weird like action movie kick from like the like the mid two thousands. So like I don't know why I watched Jack Reacher, um, but I did. Not the show yet, but apparently the show is very popular. Um, I I am I watched Silicon Valley a lot the last week and a half. I've I've gone back okay. and rest, I restarted Silicon Valley because a buddy of mine told me that Mythic Quest, which is on Apple TV, is sort of a similar type of show. 
it's sort of like adolescent grotesque humor, but like with these tech startup kind of guys. And like, if you like Silicon Valley, it's in the Veep mold, right? Of just the jokes per second are just they they fly off the shelf. So I've been rewatching Silicon Valley. Uh, Mythic Mythic Quest is the one, or Mystic Quest, one of the two. I can't remember what it's called on Apple's. The one Mystic we're gonna Quest. watch, yeah. Mystic Quest, and then. I think the follow-up is going to be. I want to see the, the the Leonardo DiCaprio movie. I'm calling it the Jason Isbell movie. <laughs> apparently, <laughs> apparently Jason Isbell is in the new Scorsese movie. Uh, what is it? Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon or Flowers of the Killer Moon or one of those two? I don't know what it is. The runtime on that is three twenty-six. I know. Is, I know. That is that is rough. But Jason Isbell's really, really in it, rough. so I've got to watch my. I got to watch the all, new Jason that, Isbell movie. <laughs> all uh, all of my all of my movie nerd friends love. Killers of the Flower Moon, it's Scorsese, it's some great performances, whatever else. My recommendation specifically, and we've watched we've watched a ton of stuff here recently, uh, is is Reacher. It is so good. So I like led the I led Prime, you into that on accident. The the Amazon Prime uh, series <laughs> Reacher is so good. It's so much better than the movies, and and I like the movies. You know, they're 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 Tom. They're pulpy, kind of Tom Cruise, kind of action flicks. It's, it's like, not like you're Im- having a bad time during. It. It's domestic Mission Impossible. <laughs> well, but I mean, it's like it's like I mean, it, it reminds you a little bit of like like the Hulk from the like the like the Hulk from the seventies. It was you know Lou Ferragamo was the Hulk, and, and but it was basically Bruce Banner kind of like wandering town to town. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that that's what's happening in Reacher is, and, and it's based on a set of books by Lee Childs. I- it is a wanderer. Ex-military guy who in- enters town, cleans up, cleans up things. It's the current series is a fabulous watch. I had watched the first series here last year. I convinced Jen to watch it ahead of the second series being released, and the finale is the the finale is is, is this is this week. She watched the first series, and she was uh, she was like, "All right, when are we starting the second one?" And I was like, "Well, I mean, it's like it's not all done yet, and so we're gonna have to like wait a week between episodes." Here for in the last couple of weeks, and she's like, "Screw it, I gotta have it right now." It's the, it's propulsive, it's pulpy. Okay, it's fun. Right. Uh, it's we've got we've got to talk about how so this much happened. Fun. We've got to talk about how this happened because the, the, <laughs> we did not plan this. You asked me; I did not have any clue. You were going to ask no. me, "Hey, what have you been watching while you've been cooped up?" And I, I the, of the what are the statistics? So here's the thing. This is why this is interesting to me. And by the way, True Detective is another one we've got on the queue. Uh, season four, yes. it's, it's out. We're that that one's in the queue. But what are the statistical probability either that I randomly watched the movie that led to the show because of the because of the books, right? The books are the are the real reason, right? But like the fact that I went back and rewatched these movies that I've never really thought were like anything special. But I thought, you know what? After on second watch this past weekend, I was like, oh, this is pretty good. Um, once I came down off my Green Bay Packers high of of removing Jarrah sure, from sure. the playoffs, but like either I don't know what that feels like. Either the algorithms are so freaking good <laughs> because we are both middle aged white men, and well, the, al- and it is the, the algo number one knows show on Amazon Prime. Sure, it, and- it, is, it is it is it is being watched by most of right, America right, right now. So uh, what I'm assuming is that I've seen that as number one when I open up the app and then when I'm on another app and I see the movie, it, it's subliminally in my brain to go, Oh, I'm going to rewatch this movie. I thought it was good. And I, you know, I, when I watch stuff at, at, alone at night, after all the, the, the women in my house are asleep, it's generally stupid shit like Jack Reacher, <laughs> like the move, the right, movie, right. like it's that kind of stuff. These weird action movies, either 
we are the best podcasters in the history of podcasting. <laughs> and and I led you into that setup, unbeknownst to me or you, so perfectly. Or we're or, just victims of Amazon. Or we're the or we're the victims of marketing and algorithms. And I'm I'm guessing it's the latter, uh, because it's it's maybe a little the latter. Because this um, audience, this audience, despite what Ethan Rose might believe, this audience of this show is in fact smaller than Joe Rogan's podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> just I, I hope I hope you didn't make any promises. I, I promised Ethan Rose we were going to get twenty million downloads per episode, <laughs> two times the amount of people in the state of Tennessee. <laughs> wow, wow! All right, go watch Jack Reacher the TV show. Hide or were you or they high during this meeting? <laughs> I'm I'm not sure. I have such heavy pandemic PTSD brain right now. <laughs> two working parrots at anyway, home, going from go, Zoom call go, to go Zoom check, call. Go check out Reacher. Go 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 check out where right, Reacher. Okay. And then I I, I would right. love I, I would love one other quick thing here uh, too. Just a whole set of uh, there's a whole set of Harlan Corbin stuff books that have been turned into miniseries on on Netflix. They're usually like eight to ten episodes. Uh, we just got through we we just got through watching Fool Me Once, and you should go watch this because it is the combination of like every thriller trope with like a million red herrings kind of thrown at you left and right. And every Netflix cliche of like the last 15 seconds of it, making you immediately have to watch the next episode. It is, it is almost comical how every episode ends with some, with like some kind of like bizarre twist that makes you be like, shit, I've got to watch the next episode right now. And okay. I, I don't, I don't know that it's, I don't know that it's good, but it's definitely effective. It is. Right. It, it is. It, it it is definitely built for uh, for speed, and I, I'd be interested if anybody else has had the sort of like the, the same experience. There you go. All right. Appreciate the recommendations. Make sure you go to nashvillebanner.com, sign up for good journalism, and support good journalism. Uh, donate a few bucks each month. It's a great way to support uh, what the banner is doing. Of course, you can also come to Eighth and Roast on the first Tuesday of every single month. Uh, on the Charlotte Avenue location, we're going to get together and discuss the issues of our time here in Nashville. Myself and uh, my co-host on another show, Pod Bless Nashville. If you care about news and politics and government outside of sports, we do have an offering for you there, so make sure you check that out. Uh, hopefully with the same quality and thoughtfulness and authentic brand that we've built here on the platform. Special thanks to Buck Rising for joining us. Go to 8th and Roast, everybody. Buy some better beans and brew that drip coffee at home. Otherwise, thanks for listening. Stay warm, stay safe. And please, God, let Metro schools open up as soon as possible. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>